Book One, Chapter Twenty One of Robert Falconer by George MacDonald. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Robert Falconer by George MacDonald. Chapter Twenty One The Dragon. Next day his foot was so much better that he sent Shargar to Rothenden to buy the string, taking with him Robert's school-bag in which to carry off his Sunday shoes. For as to those left at Dubal Sanny's, they judged it unsafe to go in quest of them. The shoemaker could hardly be in a humour fit to be intruded upon. Having procured the string, Shargar went to Mrs. Falconer's. Anxious not to encounter her, but, if possible, to bug the boots quietly, he opened the door, peeped in, and seeing no one, made his way towards the kitchen. He was arrested, however, as he crossed the passage by the voice of Mrs. Falconer, calling, "'What's that?' There she was at the parlour door. It paralysed him. His first impulse was to make a rush and escape. But the boots, he could not go without at least an attempt upon them. So he turned and faced her with inward trembling. "'What's that?' repeated the old lady, regarding him fixedly. "'Ow, oh, it's you. What do ye want? You came not to see me, I'm thinking. What have ye in that bag?' "'I came to buy twine for the dragon,' answered Shargar. "'Ye had twine enough afore. It broke. It was not strong enough. "'War got ye the siller to buy more. Let's see it.' Shargar took the string from the bag. Sich a sight o' twine. What paid ye for it? A shillin'. Whar got ye the shillin'? Mr. Lammy gave it to Robert. I will not have ye take siller from nobody. It's ill manners. Hi, said the old lady, putting her hand in her pocket and taking out a shilling. Hi, she said. Give Mr. Lammy back his shilling and tell him I, I would not have ye learn such ill customs as take silver. It's enough to go on exacting free quarters as ye do on begging for siller. Are they all weel? Ay, brawly, answered Shargar, putting the shilling in his pocket. In another moment Shargar had, without a word of adieu, embezzled the shoes and escaped from the house without seeing Betty. He went straight to the shop he had just left and bought another shilling's worth of string. When he got home, he concealed nothing from Robert, whom he found seated in the barn, with his fiddle, waiting his return. Robert started to his feet. He could appropriate his grandfather's violin, to which, possibly, he might have shown as good a right as his grandmother, certainly his grandfather would have accorded it him, but her money was sacred. "'Shargar, ye brat!' he cried. "'Fest that shillin' here directly!' Take the twine with ye, and gar them give ye back the shillin'. They would not break the bargain, cried Shargar, beginning almost to whimper, for a savoury smell of dinner was coming across the yard. Tell them it's stone siller, and they'll be in hot water aboot it, given they did not give it ye back. I won't have my dinner first, remonstrated Shargar. But the spirit of his grandmother was strong in Robert, and in a matter of rectitude there must be no temporizing. Therein he could be as tyrannical as the old lady herself. Dell a bite, or a sup's gone, or your thrapple till I see that shillin'. There was no help for it. Six hungry miles must be trudged by Shargar ere he got a morsel to eat. 
Two hours and a half passed before he reappeared. But he brought the shilling. As to how he recovered it, Robert questioned him in vain. Shargar, in his turn, was obstinate. "'She's a some unmanageable wife, that granny o' yours,' said Mr. Lammy, when Robert returned the shilling with Mrs. Falconer's message. "'But I reckon I mount put it in my pooch, for she will have her own gate, and I did not want to strive with her. But given any of ye be in want of shilling any day, lads, as long as I'm aboon the yard, this on'll be grown twa, or maybe more, given that time.' So saying, the farmer put the shilling into his pocket and buttoned it up. The dragon flew splendidly now, and its strength was mighty. It was Robert's custom to drive a stake into the ground, slanting against the wind, and thereby tether the animal, as if it were up there grazing in its own natural region. Then he would lie down by the stake and read the Arabian Nights, every now and then casting a glance upward at the creature alone in the waste air, yet all in his power by the string at his side. Somehow the high-flown dragon was a bond between him and the blue. He seemed nearer to the sky while it flew, or at least the heaven seemed less far away and inaccessible. While he lay there gazing all at once, he would find that his soul was up with the dragon, feeling as it felt, tossing about with it in the torrents of the air. Out at his eyes it would go, traverse the dim stairless space, and sport with the wind-blown monster. Sometimes, to aid his aspiration, he would take a bit of paper, make a hole in it, pass the end of the string through the hole, and send the messenger scudding along the line athwart the depth of the wind. If it stuck by the way, he would get a telescope of Mr. Lammy's, and therewith watch its struggle till it broke loose, then follow it careering up to the kite. Away, with each successive paper, his imagination would fly, and a sense of air and height and freedom settled from his play into his very soul, a germ to sprout hereafter and enrich the forms of his aspirations. And all his after-memories of kite-flying were mingled with pictures of eastern magnificence. Far from the airy height of the dragon, his eyes always came down upon the enchanted pages of John Hewson's book. Sometimes again he would throw down his book, and sitting up with his back against the stake, lift his bonny leddy from his side, and play as he had never played in Rotherden, playing to the dragon aloft to keep him strong in his soaring, and fierce in his battling with the winds of heaven. Then he fancied that the monster swooped and swept in arcs, and swayed curving to and fro in rhythmic response to the music floating up through the wind. What a full globated symbolism lay then around the heart of the boy in his book, his violin, his kite. End chapter 21